Exodus chapter 21, if you read verse 1, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. That's the Lord God Almighty speaking in the mount to Moses to tell the children of Israel. We're continuing in chapter 21, verses 26 and 27. It says, And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid, you go back up into chapter 21, it talks about men servants and female servants, maid servants, that it perish, he shall, set, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake, or that the servant or the maid can go free, the male or the female, the servant can go free because of their eye. And if he smite out his manservant's tooth, or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. You might think, oh man, I'd have, a tro- I'd have trouble functioning without an eye, but people lose teeth all the time. You know, you think that's, that's a much lesser striking or a smiting, but the, uh, the role is the same nonetheless, and it's right, and it's, it's from God. The title for the message this afternoon is Cruelty Prevention. Cruelty Prevention. There was a, I was into pro wrestling growing up. There was a wrestler, his name was Vader, and he was fighting a guy over in Japan, and a guy hit him so hard in the eye that his eye popped out a socket. And you could see it on video. He goes like this and pushes it back in. Now, the eye wasn't dangling out. It was still under his, his eyelid, but you could see the bulb come out under his, and he pushed it back in. But and he continued the wrestling match. Yeah, I know it's all scripted and everything, but tell that to Vader in his eye. <laughs> So, but it, it, it's, it's a barbaric thing that they were doing. They were fighting one another, hitting one another, and those types of things. Cruelty prevention. You see the problems here in verses 26 and 27. It comes down to smiting and to hitting and, and, and for people to assert their, their dominance one over another and try to, try to lead one another and, and, and from the servant's standpoint that they will not be led, they will not be controlled and, 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 and overall it's just, you see the cruelty in it. You know, if I said that, that, that my dog was cutting up and I, and I hit it with a stick and knocked its eyeball loose, you'd probably, you'd probably report me, right? And rightfully so, for animal cruelty. Well, what if I said the same thing about a child or someone that that I supervise at work, that they weren't doing exactly what I told them to do, and so I so I hit them and knocked their eyeball out, or hit them and knocked their tooth out. You would say, "Wow, what a cruel person!" So the stipulations that are put here in these passages by the Lord, by the God of all mercies and grace, I believe that these two verses are there to prevent cruelty, cruelty prevention. So what we can learn, the problems on the outset, we can learn. Uh, that that sinners okay so the law is is naturally opposed to man man is naturally opposed to the law I should say it that way man is naturally opposed to yeah. sinfulness therefore therefore we can we can assert that if the law says that a man would be held accountable for these types of actions we would also know that man are are prone to these types of actions what do we mean Sinners are prone to take advantage of power and authority. Prove me wrong. Sinners are prone to take advantage of power and authority. Name one example where that's not true. Absolute uh, power corrupts absolutely. That's that's a statement someone made, and it's true. 
the, the, the natural tendency for all men in their positions of authority is to abuse that power. And if anyone resists, then they will, then they will escalate that abuse. Okay? One of the big reasons our country, and I'm, this isn't a, a, a message on gun control or in gun ownership and, and rights and all that kind of stuff, but you can see as, 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 as things continue to slide in a negative downturn, continually the government is trying to take away the ability for people to protect themselves, aren't they? They surely are. Why? Because sinners are prone to take advantage of power and authority. You can believe whatever you want if you don't have any way to resist yourself. Sinners are also prone to hurt or maim. That word maim means injure. So that something is permanently damaged. Maim. Maim. They're prone to hurt and to maim those they desire to have power or authority over. Again, read it. And if a man smite the eye of his servant... So uh, put yourself there in the room, and it doesn't matter what the case, if he didn't carry the hay the right way, or he, you know, he went over this way instead of going over that way. It doesn't matter the circumstances. If the master didn't get what he wanted out of the servant, and then the master then replied with a strike, and that strike hurt or maimed, permanently injured his servant, what was going to happen? He let him go free. That goes for the eye, that goes for the tooth. Okay. Well, what if this maid were such an age as Layla? And she's going to lose all her teeth anyway, so knocking one of them baby teeth, ah, what's the big deal? That still falls under the responsibility here and under the, under the umbrella of cruelty, and she would be set free then. Cruelty. It's cruelty prevention. Smiting of servants unto harm was already addressed in verse, Exodus 21, Verses 20, excuse me, Exodus 21, verses 20 and 21. So go back and read that. And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod and he die under his hand, he shall surely be punished. So for a capital crime, a capital punishment, you hurt somebody and they die, you die. And that goes back earlier to, if you look at verse 12, if a man smite a man, doesn't matter if he's your servant or not, so that he die, he shall surely be put to death. So capital crime, crime of death, is to be followed with a capital punishment, death. Okay. So now we're talking about, here in, in, in verse 21, it says, Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he should not be punished, for he is his money. Continue a day or two. So he's hit, but not dying, but not maimed either. So now we get to maimed, cruelty, permanently damaged. So with the capital crime brings capital punishment, and the injury requires loss of time and productivity of the owner. We got that in, chapter, in verses 20 and 21. Okay, so if if, if you know if a master hits his, his his servant in the head and he doesn't die, but he's concussed and can't think straight for a month, well that that servant is taken care of, and the master he loses his. His, uh, his product from that servant working, but that guy's not maimed. He'll, he'll, he'll heal and he'll continue on. But this is the case of cruelty to the point where someone is permanently damaged. So the, the same ideas that we've already covered are just naturally flowing here. Eyes and teeth are consistent with the same formatting of verses 22 and 25. Okay, If men strive and hurt a woman... 
from the child so that her fruit depart from her. She natural childbirth, and yet no mischief follow. The baby's okay. She just delivers early. He shall surely be punished according to the uh, as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, or if there's any harm, or if there's any maiming, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. But again, this isn't master to servant. This is just people to people. Burning for burning, wound for wound, strike for strike. And now we get to the master and his servant. But the eyes and teeth are important. Again, you can survive with one eye. My dad has one functioning eye. He has both his eyes and his head, but he can only see out of one of them. Okay? So you might think, oh man, with eye, it's no big deal. I mean, people can live with one eye, and they can certainly live without a teeth. I mean, goodness, we're surrounded by people that don't have all their teeth, you know, in, our, in this community. People survive all the time without teeth. What's he getting at here? Again, he's this is cruelty prevention. You know, if you, a lot of people, when they're striking, they go for the head. They go for the face, don't they? Well, that, that would cause us, hey, look, if, if I punch this guy in the face, if I don't put out his eye, I might crack out his tooth, and then he's gone, he's free. That, that it would prevent or rein in the master. This is in a Jewish economy. But think about the depth of this cruelty prevention. People are prone to certain evils, thus the law being holy contradicts and prevents man's impulses. It's the impulse of men to strike whether with words or actions, when we don't get what we want. That's the impulse of man. The prevention mechanism is for the owner to be freed of their property, and people like their stuff. You know, if, you don't like, if you say, no, I'm not a possessions person, well, let me come over to your place and take what I want. Let's see how non-possessive you are. People are prone that they want to hold on to their things. So in this prevention, the owner now becomes protector of their property. Not only will, will they not strike the eye and not strike the tooth, they now, under, the, under this formula, under God's cruelty prevention, they now become the protector of their servants' eyes and teeth and whatever else. You follow the same formatting in verses uh, 23 through 25. They'll be the protector of their servant's life. They'll be the protector of their servant's eye and tooth and hand and foot. They'll be the protector from burning and from wounding and from strife. You see, it's it's a cruelty prevention. It really is. It promotes mercy in dealing with the wayward. Go back to the beginning of chapter 21. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, pause. Go back in your mind and remember why one Hebrew would buy a Hebrew servant. It was first and foremost because of mercy. Because one in their land was unable to sustain themselves for drought or whatever, and the kindness of one Jew would be extended to the to another Jew, and goodwill and compassion toward the miserable and afflicted would be evidence that they would purchase, that they would buy that servant, to take care of that servant, and also take care of that man's land until six years shall he serve. So in the seventh year, he would be released back to his own land. And that guy, the, the master, would have exercised first mercy in protecting his brother and mercy exercised in protecting that land, right? So if the master maintains the idea of mercy as at the first purchase, 
then he won't be striking him in the eye or striking him in the tooth or his hand or his foot or anything else also. This idea also promotes the idea of grace when dealing with the needy. Again, the first four verses. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she should have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be his masters and he shall go out by himself. And if the master shall plainly say, I love my master. Plainly saying, I love my master would would indicate to all those that would hear that servant saying, I love my master, that my master has shown grace. And you see, I know as an employee, I know as a son, and I know as a farmhand, Lex knows this to an extent because he was a farmhand for a while, that it's sometimes even rare for a teenage boy to do what the boss has actually told them to do. So then a master in exercising mercy and in exercising grace would be a well master, would be a good and pleasing master unto the servant in correcting them, not by striking them in the eye, but deliberating with them and and focusing on the need of understanding them, would show that mercy and grace, you see. Grace, unmerited favor. You know, it'd be really easy for a master to say, oh, you couldn't hack it at your, in your own property, and, that, and that's why you failed, and that's why I had to step in and buy your stuff, and you're good for nothing and all that kind of stuff, but that's not very gracious, is it? No, a gracious master then, without smiting of the eye, without putting out of the tooth, or with, without maiming or, or injuring his servant then, because of this law and because of cruelty pre- prevention, then would be prone and led by the law to show mercy and grace to those that were under the realm. How wonderful is the law. This cruelty prevention also promotes peace in the house of the administrator, doesn't it? You know, how would it be, would you say that you have a peaceful household if, if, there, if, the, if, the, if the head of household or the master of household has to come in and by force and by beatings keep their kids under control and keep, keep their house under control? Is that a peaceful environment? No, it's not. If you, if you look over in First Timothy, look please in First Timothy and chapter 3, you, you see some, some pretty wonderful things. Uh, of the essence of this law of cruelty prevention in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So when speaking of a pastor, it says in verse 4, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Does that mean beating and by force and, and terrible submission? Absolutely not. We, we are to perceive that it's without cruelty, that it would be in grace, that it would be in mercy, and that it would be a peaceful environment. For if a man not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Well, apply that now to the Lord's assembly. The Lord's assembly then should be a place of mercy and grace and peace. There should not be fisticuffs and warring and striving and, 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 and all, all manner of that kind of stuff. No. Cruelty prevention. The Spirit of God would lead us in such things. The Spirit of God would never indicate to us that as the people of God that our houses would be anything but merciful and gracious and peaceful. A tranquil state. A tranquil state in Christ. Content with its earthly lot. That's what, that's what the Master would advocate and not smiting of the servant. Cruelty prevention. Peace. By extension, a servant being... By being in a state of tranquility, fearing nothing from their master and content under their service, 
they would not be a slothful servant. Okay, look back, look back as we read in the, the servant in earlier. He's, he said, I, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go free. So in him saying, I love my master, that means he would be a faithful servant. And the master then publicly in verse, in verse 6 would, dedicate, would declare then, yes, this is a faithful servant, he's saying. So in the master leading the way there, showing mercy and grace and peace, the servant then falls in line. Apply this to the for, to soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Isn't the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the ultimate and chief chief master? He's at, there is nothing flawed in his mastership, right? In that he he uses the idea and he exercises mercy, grace, and peace, while at the same time he does chasten. Okay. You might think, well, in my life I was chasing and I lost this and I lost that and I lost that. Still a servant. Still a servant. Nothing was taken away from that servitude, meaning as a child of God, they're still able to perform the service of being God's servant, even in those chastisements and the effects thereof, you see. In this prevention, it also promotes submission in the heart of the help. So in this law, I know, if, I, if I'm a servant, I know that my master, according to this law, would, would, would he, there's cruelty prevention. He would be withheld if he abided by this law, that he would be restrained by the law from giving me a whooping that I probably needed, a sound beating, you see. An unfaithful servant would say, you know what, this master, now I got him where I want him and I can act up. And if he hits me such and such, then I can go out free. And an unfaithful servant would actually promote or provoke rather their master, wouldn't they? You see that in people today. They're called antinomians. Because of grace, I can do whatever I want. Provoking, provoking the master thinking that because they have grace and the master will not strike, they can do and get away with whatever they want. And they depend, they depend on the idea of eternal security to do so. Well, that's, that's a dangerous idea. That's a dangerous ideology. It really is. Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6, if you look at that again, and if you shall plainly say, I love my master... My wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall bring him to the door and unto the door of the post. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Put yourself at that post. And let's pretend for a moment that you're the master. And you got this guy, he's just a terrible servant. And you can't wait until the six years is over because you want him to leave. But he's taking advantage of your goodness. And he says, you know what? I love my master. I don't want to leave. Would you take him to the door and all his ear? I wouldn't. I would say, no, go free. By the law, go free. But a true and loving servant is an obedient servant. A true and loving servant is an obedient servant. And a master that exercises grace, mercy, and peace unto his servants then receiving back the obedience of that servant as a well-pleased master. That applies in the natural realm. That also applies 
in, a, in the spiritual, meaning God, again, the great and wonderful master to those children who are obedient. What will he say? Well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? Some masters would be okay to maim a servant just to get rid of them than to deal with them. And that's a dangerous thing as well. It's dangerous for a servant for a, uh, to say, you know what, my master, you know, he can't hit me so I can do whatever I want. Look, at it, if you would, in, in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, these, ser- these masters and servants, both of them, if they truly are marked as being the children of God, look at how they will perform on both ends. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Does it say, Blessed are the peacemakers if their servants and their masters are good? Does it say, Blessed are the peacemakers if their, if their masters and their servants are good? Does it give those kind of conditions? No. What it does say is, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they should be called the children of God. So then, if the servant and the master, both exercising, the master exercising mercy, grace, and peace, and desiring peace, and the servant exercising obedience, and also desiring peace, as the children of, they'd be evidenced as the children of God, and it truly would be a content realm to, to live in. But again, some masters would would be okay with maiming a servant just to be just then rather than dealing with them. Hey, this person they've done this so many times. Let me just knock their tooth out, and that way I can set them free, and we're all good under the law. You see how that is an ugly position. Truly, you see that. But it happens today, though. It happens today. Parents would rather emotionally scar a child, and then say, you know what? be gone than to actually raise them. Wouldn't it? Happens every day. Parents would rather emotionally scar a child than to actually deal with them with mercy, grace, and desire peace with them. It happens even among spouses. As a person would rather, you know, either physically or emotionally or somehow, some way, maim somebody, not physically, maybe putting out their die, but maybe so. They'd rather do that kind of stuff and say, "Well, she left me," than actually deal with people in an interpersonal way with grace, mercy, and desiring peace. How many families have fallen apart because? Under the law, they say, well, you know, they're, they're such and such. Yeah, they, they're free. Go free. These verses prevent that. They're, they're there to prevent that. That same ha- things happens with, with bosses and employees. You know, you can, have, you can have a job where there's absolutely hostile working conditions. I was talking with a man the other day, and you know him, and... He, he, his life is now better now that he's that he's unable to work than it was while he was working. And to give you some context, and I don't want to say his name out loud, but, but he, he's missing a, an arm now. And he told me that his life, there's less stress in his life now than there was when he was working for his former boss. That's how hostile his former boss was. 
it's possible that a boss so strike a person that they make them miserable, and then when the person quits, well, they're just gone. That boss wasn't looking for mercy or grace or exercising mercy or grace or desiring peace. You see, you see how this stuff, it truly does prevent cruelty. It's abusive behavior. What we have going on, if a man smite the eye of a servant, verse 27, if a man smite a man's servant's tooth, that's abusive behavior. And yeah, it's those are physical things, but I mention again the mind, and I mention again the emotions. That's abusive behavior as well. It's abusive, and Paul speaks of this in the context of marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Turn over there just for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart, a brother or a sister is not under bondage of such case. If an unbeliever says, I can't take anymore, we just take off. Or, or they can stay, but they're also depart in the heart, meaning they're, they're, they're presently abusive. It says they're not under bondage in some cases, but God hath called us to what? Where's that at, brother? 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15. Called us to what? Peace. How is peace achieved? Tranquility. The tranquility of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort or state that is. Fayer's definition. So, yes, that goes along with marriage, but also you can see there how the unbelieving person there their departing brings peace, which leads us to believe that their being there is a state of, of disaster, right? That it's not peaceful. It's hostile, right? He says that a brother or sister is not under bondage, so it's a case of bondage for them to be there. That's called abuse. So then it happens today and it happens in all manner of different places it happens again with parents and kids it happens among spouses it happens on the job side it happens happens all over the place an abusive person in 1 Corinthians 7:15 is also called what an unbeliever an unbeliever one smiting out the eyes and teeth in our text in Exodus 21 they're certainly not conducting themselves according to the doctrine of Christ, are they? You know, if if I if we came in here and Lex was missing his teeth and Jill had a black eye and and Carissa was limping and Layla wasn't even he wasn't here in the hospital with bruises all over, would you think, man, that's a peaceful guy? That's that's a, that's a guy that's walking in the doctrine of Christ. He's such a he's such a godly man. No, you wouldn't think that. You would think evil, and rightfully so. It's a, it would be an evil thing for these, these masters to conduct themselves in such a way toward their servants. And it doesn't say what the servants did, because it doesn't matter. You know, there's some people, you know, if somebody gets hit, you might think, well, what'd you do? What'd you say? It, here it's not indicated. It doesn't matter why the master hit the eye or hit the tooth. It doesn't matter. The focus here then is cruelty prevention. Someone who would have an upper hand restraining themselves and desiring mercy, 
grace and peace according to the goodness of God as indicated by the law of God, modeled after the doctrine of Christ. One smiting out the eyes and teeth is certainly not conducting themselves as Christian or godly. Submitting to avoid a proper beating, that's not a godly relationship. That's not a godly relationship at all, right? It doesn't matter what context you're talking about. If these servants are just submitting to their master to avoid a proper beating, that's not godly either. That's hostile. Again, that's abusive. And just as much as the Lord doesn't play whack-a-mole with his people, his people shouldn't play whack-a-mole with one another as well. But the true cure of cruelty and proper understanding of this relationship between the master and his servant is clearly evident in the, the Lord and his people. And Paul takes several passages in the New Testament. He speaks several times concerning this very idea. First, let's look at it in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Because so think about it. Master hitting his, his servant in the eye, losing his eye, he now goes for it. He loses his property. How does that parallel with Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9? Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and a singleness of heart, as unto Christ. Well, that fixes a lot of problems right there, doesn't it? Some people being the, the, the employee or, the, or the, the, the servant or, or the subordinate, they think that they're in charge. And, and doing that, they're actually applying those things. That's an evident token that they don't understand Christ and what he did. If someone, if someone does not submit and they're not obedient, again, catch that, verse 5. If, if they don't submit and they're not obedient, it's evident in singleness of heart, they don't understand Christ. Not with eye service. That word eye service means performance under, under eyes. Meaning, you know, while everything's out in the open, I'll pretend I'm this way, but while nobody's looking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be who I really am. That's what eye service is. You know, you might have seen this if you ever had a job. People look real busy when the boss comes around and, and then the boss goes away and like, oh boy, that was, that was close. They almost caught me doing nothing. You know, that kind of thing. Not with eye service. As men pleasers. But as the servants of Christ, well, an obedient servant performs everything as a servant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Does that mean, you know, turning wrenches and flipping burgers and, and, and handing this out or doing whatever your job is? If you're, if, you're, if you're a child still under a roof, well, your job is to be obedient to your parents and do that as unto Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing whatsoever good anything uh, good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive of the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening. He doesn't even talk about beating. He says, Don't threaten them to beat them. Forbearing threatening, restrain yourselves. Knowing that your master is also in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. We're all lower than he is. So behave yourselves accordingly. Exercise. If you have masters, if you have, uh, if you have been uh, exercised in the mercy, grace, and granted peace in God Almighty through the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who are under you display those very things as you also answer to Christ. 
these things are applied to my own heart being a pastor. It's, it's, a, it's a grave responsibility being a pastor. It really is. One that should not be abused. And when I said at the outset that sinners are prone to take advantage of authority, do you have any idea how much that weighs on my mind? <laughs> that I answer to God in the things that I say and do as pastor of this church? Please know that I take these things seriously. But what does he say? You see that right here. How, how is the true cure of cruelty? How, how, is, how is cruelty prevention off, just evident? It's in the gospel. If the, if the servants are obedient as unto the Lord and the masters are performing their duties as unto the Lord, knowing that he is master of us all, then everything should have a very peaceful, merciful, and gracious uh, interaction, shouldn't it? It should be. It really he says the same thing to the church of Colossae, Colossians chapter 3. Look over there, Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. Cruelty prevention. Colossians chapter 3, 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. You know, obedience, if, you're, if you have somebody that's over you and they tell you something you want to do anyway, that's real easy to be obedient under that. Where true obedience comes in a household sense is when I ask Lexington to do something he doesn't want to do. That's where obedience is evident. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service, again, not, not for show, not put on as man pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. You see the same ideas here. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that the Lord, ye sh- now, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Keep reading. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So this does not leave. Even under grace and mercy and peace, the masters still have a responsibility to be just that, the masters, to lead, to govern, to oversee. He says to be just and equitable, fair, right, and whole, right and good. That's a responsibility. First Timothy same ideas. First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Verses one and two. Cruelty prevention. That as many servants are as are under the yoke, or as many people who are as working for masters, count their own masters worthy of all honor. But how many? How many masters? Strike out against servants who behave in such a way. That's a truly cruel master that would do such a thing. But he says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Take it back to our text. You've got a, a yes, the responsibility falls on the master if he strikes his servant, his eye come out or his tooth come out or whatever come out, he's maimed. That he goes free. But guess what? That rebellious servant was also a blasphemer. Not submitting to the authority as ordained by God. And they that have believing masters. Let them not despise them. Because 
they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting questions, doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from which from such withdraw thyself. Well, boy, that was a big contrast, wasn't it? Honorable servants declaring the righteousness of God, showing worthiness to their masters, doing all things as unto the Lord, and being blasphemers from which godly men should withdraw themselves. Those are two very distinct groups of people. Again, cruelty prevention. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 9. Exhort, encourage servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. Not answering again. No back talk. No whatabouts. Not purloining theft off the job, but showing all good fidelity. You know, purloining and theft off the job, that, that means stealing time too. There's a lot of people that steal time off. They clock in and do nothing. That's stealing time. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You mean being an obedient servant even over here in my job and just, just doing the job that I'm supposed to do? Yes. That is adorning or putting on the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Wow. Wow. Proper servitude is good, right, and God-honoring, showing evidence of hope and expectation in the Lord. Proper mastership, showing grace and mercy and desiring peace under our realm, not desiring hurt or maiming, but desiring peace is evident of the hope that lies in us. You see, you might ask then now at the last, how in the world, how in the world could... Could verses 26 and 27 of Exodus chapter 21, how in the world could that evident cruelty prevention? I would return, how does it not? In every word, it declares unto the people of God, seek mercy, seek grace, seek peace. Be hospitable to one another. Servants, obey your masters as unto the Lord. Masters, take well care of them as your master is in heaven. That's what Paul said so many times in the New Testament. This is so much more than just somebody's eye or somebody's tooth being put out. So much more. Children of God, as masters... May we exercise mercy and grace and desire peace in our homes, in all our relationships. What did Solomon say along these lines? Look over, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 10. says, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. What do you mean? What's that mean? 
I mean, so make sure he's taken care of, make sure he's fed, make sure he's, you know, if it's a horse or whatever, make sure that he's shod, that he's got the shoes and everything, the toe, the feet aren't overgrown and, and trimmed, and just make sure they're taken care of. Make sure they're taken care of, of, a, of an animal. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So he's talking about animals, how much more than to to people. So a, a beast, then, it would be under subjection. God gave man dominion over all the things in the earth way back in the garden. So if a master over something he has dominion over is counted as a righteous man when he takes care of that thing, showing it mercy, showing it grace, showing it peace. You know, it doesn't say what kind of beast. And I say this in jest. Most of us are smarter than most kinds of animals. So men, human beings, are higher than animals. Yet would, by necessity, even in correcting their beast, they would regard that thing's life. I was out horse riding one time, and the horse wouldn't go. And whenever the guy got off the horse, then it would run, and it was, it was just care. And that guy, he picked up a big stick, and that horse took off running because he knew it was about to happen. He was about to get hit with that stick. Well, he performed himself as a wicked and cruel man. A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. Does that mean he'll never, you know, swat his horse or whatever, never correct it, never guide it? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean he'll regard its welfare. Certainly wouldn't pluck out its eye or bash out its tooth or break its leg or anything. Certainly wouldn't maim it. No, a righteous man desires to exercise mercy and grace and to live in peace, even among his beasts. The mercies, the, the, the compassion that a cruel man has, the, well, that's the wicked man, the cruelty, that's where the eye gouging comes in. That's where the tooth knocking out comes in. That's where the broken legs and all the broken backs and all that kind of stuff. Cruel, cruel, wickedly cruel. Children of God, we're not to be strikers. You know, in here it says smiting an eye and smiting a tooth in our text. We're not to be strikers of the eye or of the tooth or of the mind or of the heart. But we should desire mercy, grace, and peace be exercised. In our text, whenever it says, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. Yes, being such a striker of eye, tooth, mind, or heart would bring a loss to self. But guess what, guess what gets left off here? Guess, guess what we forget? Our neighbor is now maimed. Is that loving your neighbor as yourself? Would you want somebody to come over and maim you over something? Put out your eye for something? Strike out your tooth for something? Say things that really pierce the heart and, and weigh on the mind? No, we're not to be maimers either, children of God. We're not to be maimers either. Because that servant, yeah, he's free. He's no longer a servant, but guess what? He's got a, that's what the definition of maim is, is permanently damaged, permanently injured. No. In exercising mercy, grace, and peace, we would not desire 
in our homes, in our relationships, in our work, everywhere we go. We would desire nothing but mercy, grace, and peace. We would not desire to hurt or maim anyone. We should not desire those things. And in, in desiring to hurt or maim somebody, it's nothing short of what we read in Proverbs, wickedly cruel. As servants, if we truly love our masters, we would truly submit to them and serve them faithfully. It's a true sign of a loving servant. We should desire to be loving servants, not as men please us, but as unto the Lord. We should desire to be well-pleasing in our service. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Submit, children, submit well-pleasing service as unto the Lord. Desire to be a prophet unto your master. You see how that when the master let him go free for his eyes' sake, well, maybe some of this could have been taken care of. And it is, again, the, the master's responsibility to exercise mercy, grace, and, and, and desire peace. And I don't want to take away from that. But oftentimes when a servant is stricken, it's, be, it's not because they were doing the right thing and, and somebody just wanted to smack them over it. It's because they wanted things their own way and weren't desiring to be profitable to their master. When does God chasten his kids? When does God chasten his children? When they want to do things their way and they're not profitable unto him. Right? That's when chastisement comes. When, when I want to do things my way and my way is not profitable unto him and doesn't bring him glory, that's when he has chastened me. And that's when he chastens his children to bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So then, servants, desire to be a profitable servant unto your master. Desire, rather than being chastened and see how far you can push things, plainly say, verse 5, I love my master. And say so with how you live your life. Serve in your life as unto the Lord. You see, this is cruelty prevention. But a master did have the right and responsibility to correct their servants, such so was pleasing unto them. What this does is prevent the absoluteness of cruelty and desiring to maim somebody. Sinner, you're better off maimed and set free than to remain whole, the servant of sin. Listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, be maimed, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. You're better to be maimed in repentance than to go in headlong whole into the judgment of God. When it says set free in our text, if you parallel that to what the Lord said, who the Son set free, yes, he is free indeed. You're better off maimed and free than whole and under the bondage of sin, a servant to sin. 
And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. You're better off maimed and set free. And not thy whole body should be cast into hell. You're better off maimed and set free by the power of God. Granted repentance of sin, maimed by God, set free according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, than to be whole and the bondman of sin. It has been said, he says. I would encourage you. There's so much in these few verses, and I, and I pray that the Lord gives us understanding in these things. Sinner, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is that right and good master. In repentance, it's not just a cutting out of an eye or cutting off an arm, but it's complete rejection of self. Repentance. Desiring to be free and free from sin. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. May the Lord bless the preaching of the Lord.